So, here we go. Breaking the box, John 4, uh, beginning at verse 1. John chapter 4, verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, and Jesus tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him. He would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Before you're seated, turn to the person next to you, look them in the eye, tell them that they look absolutely fabulous this morning. Will you do that? So in our story today, I want you to picture Jacob's well. This is Jacob's well. And for these Samaritans, this area surrounding Jacob's well was holy ground. And so as we look at our study, we want to show you one of the enemies of revival is religious spirit. My definition of religious spirit is the book doesn't match the cover. So in other words, we are one thing on Sunday and another thing on Wednesday. If we are going to have revival, we have to be authentic. And in order for me to be authentic with you, if you think I am a seven and I'm only a two, then you need to be a safe place for me to come and say, I have not got my stuff together. You follow me? When hurting people walk through the door, we cannot criticize them or put them in a pigeonhole or say, this is, oh, you should be the Holy Spirit will do the cleansing. The leadership will, will, will deal with any discipline that's necessary. But our role as the body of Christ is to simply love people and encourage them and bless them and help them to feel part of the journey that we're on together. What happens when we go years and years without renewal or revival, we feel the pressure to perform. (laughs) We feel the pressure to keep a certain culture because we are 
the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada and we're supposed to be a, a revival movement. Well, not a lot's been happening lately, so we, we better perform. And that will be the death knell of any move that God wants. We just got to be authentic and we have to be real. And so when we look at this Samaritan woman, the woman at the well had a connection with the place. Jesus wanted her to have a covenant with a person. Our God is a God of covenant. And if we're going to have revival, we need to understand a covenant. If we're going to be persistent in our prayer life, we've got to understand covenant that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He, he said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. He is committed to us. He is one who cares for us. So contracts are legal and binding. Covenants are spiritual and liberating. Covenants are sealed on paper. Covenants, contracts are sealed on paper. Covenants are sealed in the heart. Contracts are enforced by the law. Covenants are enforced by the spirit. And sometimes when we are involved in religious spirit, we can have a connection with a place we can have a connection with the past. We can have a connection with performance. We can have connection with position. And we can have a connection with posture. This isn't in your notes. It's all free. So we'll get to it in a minute. <laughs> what we have to make sure is that we have a stronger spirit tie with God than a soul tie with anything else. One of the reasons that... that Moses hindered himself was that he had, a, he, he had a stronger soul tie with Aaron than a spirit tie with the father. He let go of the spirit tie with the father to take the soul tie of Aaron. And so God wants us to take hold of his hand and go on this journey with him. And so to the Israelites, God said, I myself, Jeremiah 3.19, I myself said, how gladly would I treat you like sons and give you a desirable land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. God wants us to follow him. And so as we look at our story together, we see... The essence of faith. <coughs> Excuse me. And so if we are going to have revival, one of those ingredients is we must have faith. We must believe that God is and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We must believe that the time I spend with him that there will come fruit. It's not the reason I do it, but I can have the faith because I have experienced it out of the consistency of my walk with God. The fruit has come. Fruit follows obedience. Fruit follows submission. And so, faith calls those things which are not as though they are. Faith says, I have that in my spirit. I know my, my children are going to come to the Lord. I know God's going to uh, give me breakthrough in my relationships. I know God is going to answer prayer when it comes to my finances. Faith calls those things that, that be not as though they are. And when you consistently walk with God... When you consistently understand his word, it becomes very real what God is going to do. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith is produced as I, as I read the Logos and as, I, as I've talked about in our Q&A, that, that, that time there, there's a rhema word that comes that produces faith. So here we see this woman and Jesus uh, approaches her as she sits at this well. And as I've said, this well is so meaningful. 
to, to these Samaritans. This was Jacob's well. It was holy ground. And here's the question she asked. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? And so, when we are challenged with faith, when we consider our topic of revival, we may feel that there are some obstacles that are, are in front of us. We may say, well, my resources are limited. So this woman, as she sat in the well and <coughs> Jesus came and asked for water, she realized that the resources were limited, the obstacles were great, and she was locked in a paradigm. And so the paradigm was that of this is all there is. Revival is when there is more than what I see. Revival is this is not the way that it's going to be. God, we see when God shows up, things change. The ordinary becomes extraordinary. The natural becomes supernatural. What I want you to see here is we cannot become comfortable in our paradigm. That's what produces a wall. That's what produces us from circling. So if Holy Spirit says there's something he wants us to do, he wants to shift you and break you out of your paradigm. Why does he want to do that? He wants you to become like him. He wants to bless you. He wants to, he wants to impart to you a fresh identity in how he sees you. He wants to reparent you. And so here this woman looks at Jesus and he comes and he wants water and he's got nothing to draw with. And so... The obstacles of faith, my resources are limited. The obstacles are great. I'm locked in a paradigm. Can I suggest that the great chapter of Hebrews lists 16 ways that faith was released in the lives of people. 14 are God working in me. Two are God working through me. So when you study this great faith chapter... So many of us, when we consider faith, is that the working of miracles, God working through me. But the, 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 the priority here is God working in me. And so what you have to get excited about is God is changing you. You may not maybe have seen anything supernatural uh, in, in the last little while, maybe in a church service, but one of the greatest miracles is the grace of God making me more like him. The changes that God has brought in my life, faith working in me, is supernatural. And I thank God for that. And, and you need to realize God is at work in you, and he wants you to be authentic. God, help us if we're a two not to try to be a seven. <laughs> Just be you. And the leadership responsibility is to provide a safe place that there isn't all this spiritual expectation to be something that we're not. A family just respects people for who they are and for where they are. So here we go. Here's our lesson. If I want to lose a connection with the place, with the past, with the performance, with the position, with the posture, you know, like the Pharisees, when they would come in the marketplace, they would have their robes and they would walk through the marketplace strutting their position, carrying a certain posture. I'm sorry, but there are some Christians. They come to church on Sunday. Oh, come on. Just be real. 
And so here it is. Let me show you this. First step. If we're going to be authentic, to break through religious spirit, we've got to embrace submission. Now, this is what I want to show you. And it was true last night as well when it came to Elijah. I want you to see in verse 4 in our story, in John 4, this whole story began with Jesus in verse 4, where he says, now he had to go through Samaria. Jesus said this, I have come to do the will of my Father. When we get that in our spirit, we are well on our way to revival. So Jesus, as he would pray, sought the will of the Father. And this story happened, the woman at the well, because Jesus embraced submission. So, all of our teachings this weekend are for naught unless we understand this truth. Holy Spirit, what is it that you're asking me to do? And when we truly come to the place of understanding sonship and daughtership, we get so excited. We get to do what the Father asks us. But you see, trust has been broken so many times in our life. And we just say, here I go again. I got to do this. What happens if? See, that was a problem with Moses. What if they don't believe me? God did five miracles. He asked him five times to lead the Israelites. Five times he said no. And you see, the issue, the issue with, with, with Moses... He said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid because of my speech. So in Numbers, uh, Numbers 20, where God asked him to speak to the rock, the reason, this was his last chance to become a son, by the way, the reason God asked him to speak when he had always struck it was he was taking him back to his deficit and his lack of identity. And God said to, to Moses, okay, I understand that you can't talk to three million people, so let's just do a boot camp here. Come on over here and talk to a rock. Moses' issue was not his speech. Moses' issue was submission. Jesus said, I've got to go through Samaria. So you may be riding the bus or you may be in the mall and God just gives you a, a little nudge. Okay, go and speak to this person. Are you kidding me? And fear comes over us. But you see, God wasn't trying to just get Moses to do it his way. He was trying to bring him into his inheritance. And so the, the Bible says that God took him to a mountain and showed him the promised land. But he said, you can't go in because you did not trust me and did not honor me as holy. God has a plan for this house. God has a plan for your life. And it's as we fall in love with submission. When we fall in love to do what God asks us to do. Turn over with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 28. One of my favorite scriptures. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined. What is it he predestined us? To be conformed to the likeness of a son, that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. Those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns Christ Jesus who died? More than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Can you say amen? Through him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's got a great plan for you, but it begins by doing what Holy Spirit has asked us to do. What I want you to see here, what I want you to see here is that the importance of the one. Jesus said, I have to go through Samaria. He had preached to crowds, but there was one woman that needed to meet him. And I challenge you to be people who are disciple makers. Find a multiplier and pour into them. I believe everyone needs to have a Barnabas and everyone should have a Timothy. Everyone needs to have a Ruth and every one of us should have a Naomi. We need to be pouring in and multiplying and making a difference in one person's life. Number two, walk in perseverance. Look at verse three as we go back to John. John chapter four and verse three. And when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So he had been to Galilee before. And some of you have been praying and 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 praying. God says, keep praying, keep believing. Keep persevering because there is a divine appointment that he has for you as you're faithful in being a We can only make disciples as we are a disciple. I want to challenge you. If you're going to have revival, understand what it is to embrace submission, to walk in perseverance. Number three, so when the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. And we just read Romans 8, 28. You're going to have to overcome some barriers. Can I say we don't experience the impossible because we stop at the improbable? Oh, that was really good. We don't experience the impossible. We don't experience the impossible because we stop at the improbable. So there may be a speed bump in your journey. Don't stay there. Push through it. And so when we see in verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. So they were called mongrel Jews. They were, they were pushed aside by the true Jewish sect. And you will discover that when you're on this journey of intimacy with God and on this journey of revival with God, there's going to be some obstacles. Jesus may ask you to love the unlovely. Jesus will likely ask you to do something that's outside of your comfort zone. You've got to push through that obstacle. And so you're facing something maybe right now. It's just so improbable. 
But as you push through the improbability, you'll experience the impossibility becoming the possible. Number four, you're going to have to ask. So look at verse 10. Here's what it says. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. James chapter 4, verse 2. Can somebody find that for me and just read that? James chapter 4 and verse 2. That's why I believe in a journal. That's why I believe in writing out my prayer requests. And I just continue to visit those every day. And I'm believing that God will answer prayer. Sowing and reaping. You have not because you ask not. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So now... All this woman knows is that every day she comes to the well and she draws water. Jesus comes on the scene and he is addressing her paradigm. He's beginning to talk about something that she knows nothing about. She's, he's beginning to talk to her about the living water. Can I say this to you? Your success is found in your daily schedule. There likely won't be anything more significant than I may say all weekend than that. Your success is found in your daily schedule. So God asked a small request to bestow a greater gift. So whatever it is and where you're at, God's asking you for something. It's because he wants to give you a greater gift. God is no man's debtor. Whatever he's asking you of, get ready for a greater gift that's going to come back to you. He asks a small request for greatness. So you want something, you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight, you do not have because you did not ask God. Number five, look beyond your resources. Can I just suggest this as we read verse 11? It says, Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Do you see how she's stuck in this paradigm? And I've got to stop asking how. How is God going to do this? If I pay my tithes every week or every two weeks or every month, how is God going to bless? I don't know. I've just been doing it all my life, and I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. God's a God of blessing. God's a God of bounty as I'm faithful in giving to him. And so here this woman is in this paradigm of coming every day and drawing water. And God is going to begin to bring a shift. So we've got to embrace submission, walk in perseverance, be ready to overcome some barriers, be ready to ask, and be ready to look beyond our resources. So here we go. Verse 12. Here's what it says. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? That's just the 12 o'clock gongs, just so we know. Here's what I want you to see. The woman at the well must be in the pocket or something. (laughs) 
Here's what I want you to see. This woman at the well typifies so many people as they come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. It is a religious experience. And we, are, we do not feel we are a nominal church, but we're on our way there unless we understand God wants to give us more than just natural water. He wants to give us living water. So she says, are you greater than Jacob? Are you greater? That's just a message for you. Are you greater than, than, than this, this holy ground? And that's the question we have to ask ourselves today. What is it that God wants to do tomorrow morning as we come to church? Is it going to be the same old, same old? Is it going to be natural water? Or are we expect, expecting living water? God is addressing this woman's situation. So verse 12. There has got to come the renewing of the mind. Are you greater than Jacob? And so, verse 13. Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. And so, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so, there's got to come an expectation. And I, I'm, I for one, as I looked at this weekend and as I was praying and, 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 and preparing my heart, I'm expecting a miracle. Because that's the God that I serve. Because I sense there are a group of people here on a Saturday morning at 12 o'clock just before lunch that say, God, I, I want something more. I'm, I'm tired of coming and just, yeah, it's, what we have is beautiful. We're how old, Pastor? 100 years? Amazing. But we can't come just and expect the natural water. What we want is the living water. And so we expect a miracle. I love this next one, and it may answer some questions that we have been asking. Be ready for a process. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. There's a become in our journey. Say that with me. There is a become in our journey. So in other words, this is a process. And so as we, as we talked about earlier, as we pursue the Father, we pursue the giver and not the gift, there's an intimacy that develops. So the living water becomes living. So it's not just a, a turn on and turn off. It's a becoming. It, it's, it, the success is found in our daily schedule. The success is found as we pursue him. The success is being, is being persistent as we push through. And so whoever drinks the water that I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Revival is when we're walking in the spirit and within you. You see, the water is in him and the water is now in you because you've accepted him. And so you carry the kingdom. You carry the kingdom to a hurting world because of what God has done within your life. The next point is to get thirsty. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. This word give actually means to yield and commit to an adventure. When you ask God for water, get ready to go 
on an adventure. You see, that's the challenge of the church of 100 years as a denomination. We've lost our adventure. I'm on an adventure. I'm old, but I'm still on an adventure. I want you to get on an adventure. I want you to yield to God today. Now, if you're happy with Jacob's well and you're coming every day and you're getting what you need in a natural way, then that's fine. But I believe there are some people here today that would say, Pastor, I'm tired of the natural water. I want the living water and I want to carry the living water. You see, this isn't just about receiving. This is about giving. And so there comes that That desire, verse 15, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. I have to keep coming here uh, to draw water. Now, here's where it gets, starts to get real. Get ready for the cost. Up until now, she really doesn't get it. She's expecting this this natural water so somehow she's going to get natural water so she doesn't have to keep coming every day no no that's not what she's talking about so she doesn't quite have understanding so then there comes the prophetic there comes the discernment there comes the addressing of the stuff Watch this. So verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. So now Jesus starts to address what's holding her back. He's beginning to peel away the onion. He's coming, cutting through the religious part. And getting to the core of who she really is. And so we go on to read, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband when you've just said is quite true. Oh my. We're getting down to the reality. I want to be quick to say this did not affect Jesus' love for her. It did not affect the journey that he wanted her to go on. So let's not get hung up. And, oh, five, oh, five husbands. Because oh. <laughs> that's where we tend to get pulled into. And so what we need to realize, God always deals with unrighteous habits. The reason people enjoy just coming every, every day and getting what we need in the natural is because we don't want to embrace the prophetic. We don't want to embrace the word. We don't want to fall in love with the truth. We're, we're not willing to embrace change. If we're going to have revival, we welcome, we welcome the Father to come. The husbandman to come and trim the vine. Are you with me? That's when revival comes. When we trust the Father. And so what he's talking to us about, what he's speaking to us about, we get excited about embracing that. And so, number 11, embrace the prophetic. <laughs> this is a little bit of comedy here for me. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Hello? <laughs> like, I'm sure she was taken aback that he would know this about her. Like, whoa. I can see that you are a prophet because the 
prophetic shifts. And we'll try and just bring this home. And so she begins to investigate her box. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So there's a whole debate going on here now about, about this whole thing of the holy ground. And Jesus makes a declaration. He says, Believe me, woman, Verse 21, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is a spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. So in other words, he now tries to get her, her to shift from looking at the well and looking at this holy ground and begin to look at the intimacy with Father God and how true worship is not found in a place. True worship is found in a person. And here's what I want you to see here. It's so exciting. And so she embraces the prophetic she embraces the prophetic look at verse uh, verse 12 here down to verse 19 and so God begins to investigate the unrighteousness of her life and so then Look at verse 27. And then his disciples returned. They were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Here's the, to me, is the key to our whole weekend and key to this teaching. Verse 28, John 4. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people. Just stop there for a moment. What tied her to this well, what tied her to this religious experience was her water jar. And the Bible says she left the water jar and went to the town to testify. Here's the key to revival. I don't know what your water jar is. But I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning to set it down. <laughs> and say, God, I'm all in. It's time to testify. I'm tired of the natural water. So anything that ties me to that... I want to leave because I want the living water. And for me, it was allowing my father and my denomination to build my paradigm. This was her paradigm. It was a religious experience. And she left that. And she went to testify of the prophet that she met. So if we want to keep freshness in our life, we have to go do the last thing Holy Spirit is asking us to do. If we are to become like him. And so in the investigating of the box, she leaves her water pot and she goes and she visits her friends. And she begins to tell the story of meeting of Jesus. So look at verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. This is what she said. He told me everything I ever did. 
Jesus knows all about us, knows all our stuff. And he still loves us. And he says, if you'll set down your water pot, I'll give you the desires of your heart. I want you to see three things as we close. Stepping outside of the box. Leaving the water jar at the well to pursue the living water produces three things. First of all, it produces a testimony. So it says, and many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. The second thing is it produces an abundant harvest. And because of his words, many more became believers. So that's the multiplication. So, pastor, if we want to reach this city... We set down our water pots, set aside the natural water, and understand I'm carrying the living water, and go and share our testimony and our song. And so there was the multiplication. And I love this last point, so powerful. The reality. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. What was in Jesus was imparted to the woman at the well and was imparted to these new believers. That's the gospel message. That's what it is to carry the kingdom. Will you bow your heads with me for a moment? Revival is ours. As we desire and thirst after supernatural water. Living water. Here's my question. Now, I'm not going to embarrass you today. I just want to remember you in the closing prayer. I believe for some of us here this morning, there's a water pot that ties us to natural water. God wants to give you living water. But it's found as we submit, as we see ourselves as sons and daughters, as we're abandoned to his will. And so what I want you to see here this morning, you're a son and you're a daughter and the father is asking you to go on a journey. But maybe you're here and there's something you have to set down. I'm going to give you a moment just to think about it. This is really, really important. This is really significant. Is there anything, as we're just pausing here, is there anything that you sense God's asking you to do that you haven't done yet, but you know through this weekend the time is now? There's time for us to move forward. This is not easy. I've been on this journey. Continue to be on it. But oh how he loves you. He doesn't want you to stay being a servant. He wants you to learn to be a son and daughter. But it requires us being all in. So heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, and I'm simply going to close in prayer. I want to reclude you. But this is a decision on your part to say, yeah, God's been talking to me all weekend. I want revival. I want it for our church, but it has to begin with me. And I'm ready to set something down or someone down and go and do what Holy Spirit's asked me to do. If that's you, will you just raise your hand? I want to pray for you right now.
Just go ahead. Just hold them right up. Hold them right up. Oh, that's powerful. That's powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Lord, this is a really significant moment. It's a significant moment for individuals. It's an indication of a desire to have a soft heart. A desire to be all in with you. Revival begins with me. It's simply giving our heart to the Father and saying, yes, I want to do what he's asking me to do. So you've seen these hands that have been raised. We understand the significance of this moment. And so we bow our hearts We bow our heads and we say, Lord, we need you. We don't have the resources to do this on our own, so we humble ourselves before you. And Lord, you said your strength is made perfect in our weakness. This whole journey of sonship and daughtership is just, for some of us, so new. We don't have the paradigm for it, but we're going to begin to grow trust by growing our obedience and submission to you. So today, for many of us here, we're going to leave our water pots. (laughs) We're going to say, Lord, we're tired of the natural. And we want the supernatural. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your presence that's in this room. And you help us and you enable us. So, Lord, we thank you for our church today. We're believing you for great things. So we give you our heart. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.